fabradiointernational.com. Hello, hello, Biblifors. It's Sunday. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, or possibly you've just downloaded this, you naughty, naughty people. And you're listening <laughs> to the Radio Bookworm. My name is Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. And we have a special guest today, who is... Hello, everyone. So, we are on Twitter as... Radio Bookworm, we're on Facebook as Radio Bookworm, we're on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm, we're on Mixcloud as Radio Bookworm, we're on some fantastically newly invented social media system that I've just In made your up mind. as Radio Bookworm. If you want to find us, we're on as Radio Bookworm. Also, you can go to fabradiointernational.com and go to their social media stuff and have fun with that. So, coming up on the show, we're talking about comic books. And graphic novels. Same thing. Ah. So um, I wave my finger at you, Edward. I'll be reviewing Andre the Giant, A Life and Legend, written by Box Brown. Um, I'll be reviewing the Stormborn Volume 1 by Rochelle Mead. Um, and we'll be talking comic books and graphic novels and web comics with Alicia. So, first up, the news just after some of these short messages. Um, Weather is right and everything has gone to plan, so probably not. We're on iTunes. Yay! Not only are we on iTunes, but we should be on the front page of Starburst Magazine's website. <gasps> um, so we are a sister podcast to the fabulous Starburst podcast. Yes. Uh, they're the complete opposite to what this show is like. Where we have... You mean they're very professional and know what they're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen to the Starburst podcast and make your own decision. Um, uh, it's, it's a lovely show, but it's, it's very, dif- very, very different to, to, to what we're like at all. So, uh, other news. Um, because, because it's spring, mm. and because the sun is shining, mm. uh, spring where? Tradition, spring, where is it shining? Okay, we're in Manchester, but still, the spring tradition demands that certain things happen. You know, there's maples being danced, danced yeah. around. Eggs are being thrown at things. People are doing all sorts of different rituals. And the, one of the traditional publishing rituals is a major publisher has a fight with Amazon. Yay! So this time around, it's Hatchet. Uh, hatchet are, are well-armed, obviously, uh, because they're Hatchet, clearly. And <laughs> th- there's a scuffle. I mean, we could go into details. Um, but... It, we, it, 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 we won't. Essentially, Amazon and, and Hatchet are having a pop at each other. Um, last year, it was Barnes and Noble, and you know, it, it's it's the usual deal. Essentially, everyone wants a little bit more of the pie, and there's only so many books bought a year, and there's only so many readers. So there you go. So read more books and make more people, you know, give Happy. more people jobs. <laughs> um, 
Oop, I'm being, being, yeah, anyway. Uh, government delays, copyright exceptions? Oh, not again. Okay, so, in March, the government published a series of proposed changes to Copyright Designs and Patents Act of 1988. Um, they've been amended, they've been amended again. Um, the British Copy- Copyright Council has written that as developed. Again, this is all about money. Um, really? Really? <laughs> essentially, Sh- hear my shock. Essentially, copyrights should be a certain length. After that, they go into the public domain. Um, various people scuffle over those because some things are still popular. If, it, if it's been popular for 70 years, it's probably going to be popular for 140 years. Mm. So people always want the law regarding copyrights to be changed and protections to be changed. Um, See, I would have thought, you know, a copyright would be like an inheritance thing. You know, if if you leave it to a, fami- a member of a family or, or a friend and you say, right, well, I want that person to deal when I'm gone with my intellectual property because it's my property, then why not? Um, that That's an issue to do with estate and how that works. And mm. you, you have, like, for example, the estate of J.R. Tolkien and all the rest of it. Yeah. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole lot of things where it kind of ties into trademark as well. Yeah. Um, the, the one that they teach you in media school is Tarzan, um, mm. because the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, there's, there's essentially a Tarzan estate. Yeah. Which I always think just makes it sound like a big building with a jungle at the back, but it's not. <laughs> it really isn't. And, and occasionally they'll, they'll sue people. Uh, the Tarzan estate will go out and go, hang on, you've, you've made a very camp Tarzan, or you've made a bright pink Tarzan, or you've, put, you know, you've made a Tarzan that's not Tarzan, um, and they protect the actual image of Tarzan. That's more to do with trademark than cop- copyright, mm. which is certainly different laws. But anyway, shenanigans are going on between the various people who are involved. Shuffling is happening. People are trying to avoid, essentially, because it's, it's a complex issue. It is. People are trying to avoid doing it. It's <laughs> 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 the short version. Again, surprising. Um... Uh, the uh, the bookseller, um, who are a news and um, book website, have launched a thing called Future Book Hack, um, which is the 14th and 15th of June, which challenges teams to come up with solutions to the industry in 36 hours. Essentially, it's like, a, you know, those make workshops where you turn up, or those design workshops where you turn up and you, you design a video game or a board game, or mm-hmm. they're, they're doing one of those, but this time they're doing it for books. And that's going to be hosted, it's in London, uh, it's going to be hosted on the Bookseller. More details on that is on thebookseller.com, so that's kind of cool. Um, HarperCollins continue to make money. (laughs) And the bit of news that you actually care about, let's talk about uh, submissions if you're a writer, or you want to be a writer and you want to get published. Um, Let's talk about open submissions windows. The one that's got me terribly excited, and this is because I am a massive nerd, is, (laughs) is Mantic. Mantic have a submissions window. Now, if you don't know who Mantic are, Mantic make toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, they make little, you know those little twenty-eight millimeter sized toy soldiers of spacemen and monsters that you paint and you roll dice and you move them on the board. They do those. Mantic are people who used to work for Games Workshop, got annoyed at Games Workshop and left, and then formed their own business. Um, they have made millions via Kickstarter, literally millions, and they do stuff like Mars Attacks, Dreadball, mm-hmm. Dead Zone. They do these really, really well produced, really nice games. Um, and it's kind of, it's not like a dark, dark future. It's not a bright future either. No. It's just a future. It's a sci-fi world. And they have this game called Dreadball. And Dreadball's all about things being flung at you at high speed. It's a great, fun little kind of... When you play the board game, you're just like, hey, hey! It's nothing like other sports games you may have played. It reminds me a bit of Speedball, the media game. Dodgeball! What are you doing, <laughs> Dodgeball, is you dodge! Um, and they're, they're dipping their toe into literature. Mm-hmm. So, oops. Um, just dropped a book. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so they've got um, they've got David Annadale, 
We like we like a bit of David Annandale, and they've got Guy Healy. We like a bit of Guy Healy as well. We loved Crash. What, Mr. Healy, if you listen to the show, please write more books like Crash. Please, we loved Crash. Um, and and they're, they're writing stuff for Red Bull. Now, Red Bull is in space sports. Mm-hmm. It's a violent, super violent, hyper violent sport in space where you have human beings, you have other types of human beings, you have, let's be honest, space elves, Yay. You, ha- you have, let's be honest, space orcs, um, and then you also have space rats. Um, and robots and squiggly things and virus-born monsters and all sorts of, you know, all your sci-fi archetypes, they all come together in a kind of intergalactic Eurovision to play, <laughs> to play sport. I like what you did there. So, so whereas, whereas they're having a big fight, you know, in, in the, the, the rest of the games they're like shooting each other, they also, they also get together to play this really violent sports game. Um, and it's kind of justified because it's, they're not constantly, it's not a, it's not a setting where they're constantly at war. It's a setting where borders are always being patrolled. So stuff is always happening. So getting to the point, Mantic have said that they will give you $250 cash, plus quite possibly some Mantic goodies, if you can give them a um, successful submission. What they're looking for is a 500-word writing sample, a 100-word synopsis, and for you to sign their agreement that basically says... Yes, this, the, all the stuff I've sent you so far belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you send that in. You've got till June. Details are on the Mantic website. Um, that's it. It's all going to go into an anthology, uh, and that's a great start. Absolutely. So, if you're a gamer, I would say, and you like writing, and you think, "Oh, I've written some some fic about my game," that could be, you know, a good point to start. I would also say if you're if you if you want to write like you know if you've written Medball, you like Harlem Heroes, mm-hmm. you like that kind of violent space sports story. It is it is a cliche of the science fiction. It's a trope of the science fiction genre mm-hmm. of hyper violent blood sports. If you're not a gamer but you like the idea of you essentially want to do a light-hearted version of the Hunger Games, yeah. then <laughs> in space, in space. Um, then give it a go. Have a look at their stuff. Um, it's very, very light on detail uh, as to the pay world you itself. And give you free goodies. That's awesome. Uh, so give it a go. Give it a shot and see what happens. Might be the start of a wonderful, wonderful career. It's how some other fairly prominent authors have started. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so coming up next, I'm going to talk nonsense about a book. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Vancouver International. Hello, gentle listener. Hello, not so gentle listener. It's uh, you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, or possibly you've downloaded us off the magic of the internet. And um, my name's Ed Fortune, and I'm going to talk to you about Andre the Giant: Life and Legend, written by the fa- written and produced by the fabulous Box Brown. Now, this is a graphic novel, or, or comic book, as we also call it, because um, it's one of those things, isn't it? Comic book doesn't sound doesn't sound posh, but graphic novel, well, it's got graphics in it, See, it's kind I, of novel. I, whenever I hear comic book, I always think it's going to be funny. 
Because it's com- got the word comic in it. Exactly. So it, it it's always been really misleading. But then, you know, when I grew up, I, I mostly bought comic books, you know, the original little paper ones, uh, in Spain. And I used to buy sort of funny strips, you know, with funny characters. So it's always remained for me an association, which is why I tend to prefer say graphic novel because then I know I'm, I'm talking about you know a, 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 a thing that could be serious you know it could be I sci-fi suppose. whatever I mean I mean I, I grew up with Eagle comic but we'll talk about that towards the end of the yeah, show yeah we maybe. will yeah um, so Andre, Andre the Giant now if you don't know who Andre the Giant was a real person uh, Andre Rosimov um, was a huge 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 guy massive chap and um, in 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 real life, he was in the Princess Bride. He, he was, was a, a wrestler. Uh, he's responsible. He was the inspiration for an art movement. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of a very dour-looking man with the words "Obey," that was inspired by Andre the Giant. Uh, it wasn't with his permission, actually. It's just this weird kind of guerrilla art thing. Mm. You almost certainly have ha- seen and gone. I have no idea what that's about. What's that got to do with anything? All all inspired by this massive, massive man who weighed 500 pounds, stood nearly seven and a half feet tall. Um, and what we have, what Boxburn has produced, is he's produced this kind of, this warm and gentle story about this, this huge guy. <laughs> and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about Andrew the Giant without mentioning the fact that the guy's massive. Yeah. And the way he introduces you to the story is he's living on a far, farm. Um... You know, in, in in you know, he's living in Poland. He's living on a farm. He's just getting on with his life, and he's a kid. You know, he's like fourteen. He's <laughs> also as tall as houses. He's as tall as houses, and he can't fit on the bus. Aww. He can't go to school. He can't fit on the bus. Uh, and without spoiling it for you, uh, a famous playwright picks him up because he's a friend of the family, and just drives the guy to uh, to school or back. Um, and it's this wonderful start to it, you know, where essentially Andre the Giant had to go to school on the back of a flatbed truck because oh, he wouldn't fit in the regular school bus yeah. because he'd break the seats because it was all designed for kids. So, you know, and the bus driver was just terrified of him. <laughs> and apparently he used to go to school, he used to stand... <laughs> he, w- w- when they played football, he used to stand and go... <laughs> he was the goalie. He'd basically lie down. <laughs> nothing would get past him. Of course. Um, and it, it, the artwork itself is... I'm not going to use the words primitive because it's not primitive. It's simple. Yeah. It's very, very clearly designed to tell a story in a certain way. You know, the, 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 a good graphic novel uses its artwork, combines its artwork with, um, with the story itself. So though it's your know, black and white line art, yeah. really straightforward stuff, and you know his his hands are huge. The design is huge. The design of the character is huge. You know it's very much a caricature of what the man actually looked like, but it works because it's so simplistic. It tells you know it, it engages you in the story. You know you don't get too you get drawn into the art enough to make your point, rather than to understand it but we'll talk more about the, the whole story and indeed the life of Andrew Osimov just after this message Now 
Fab Radio International. Dot com. So we're talking about life of uh, the wrestler Andre Rosimov and the graphic novel Andre the Giant, Life and Legend, written by Box Brown. If you're really into wrestling, by the way, uh, later, on, later on on the radio station, there is the show The Sunday Falsies, and you should definitely listen to that if you love your wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting on with this, this graphic novel, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, goes, it goes through his life. Yeah. So mostly it's about wrestling because he is a big wrestling star, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of makes the point that you know wrestling isn't fake, but wrestling is fake, in the sense that they the wrestlers talk about what they're going to do and how they're going to there's do a, it. Yeah, there's an element of choreography and and obviously to make it look cool and good for people. Um, so you know it, that, that's the fake part of it, but actually the training and and all of that that's very real. It, it's really handled. It's handled. Gloriously well in the graphic novel because there's a wonderful bit where he's sitting down in this tiny chair and he dwarfs the entire office. <laughs> and there's this uh, media manager guy, this, this manager chap, who's explaining to him because he's because Andre's been doing the kind of the small circuit of the, the wrestling. Yeah. And he turns up, does a wrestling match, wins. Turns up, does a wrestling match, wins because he's seven and a half foot tall, <laughs> built like a brick house. Like, so, and he can wrestle. He can do flying kicks. He, he knows how to wrestle. He, you know, he's a good wrestler. But also, he's huge. So he just keeps re- he keeps winning. And then he he meets you know Mr. McCon. Uh, he was a, a legend of the whole. You know, eventually forms the WWF. And then when when the pandas get leave him, he forms the WWE. Um, <laughs> and you know, this guy sits him down and goes, "Right, we have to coordinate this possible properly. We have to make it so your exposure is limited. So you only turn up in a town once a year. Yeah. So your legend grows, and also you've got to stop moving them out. You've got to stop being as good. You've got to be instead. You've just got to be formidable because that's more of a show. Yeah. You know, if someone if someone's desperately trying to beat you, that's more interesting. If you just stand there <laughs> and then just wallop them, you know, and and he." Teaches him showmanship. Yeah. Um, the thing, the thing about this book is, it, it's not afraid to pull punches. Um, he was, I mean, Andre the Giant was. You know, the, the, there are stories about his life, and there are things about his life. So, for example, um, the, the, there's a thing where the, there is a scene in the book where Andre the Giant is saying some very off-color things. And he gets he gets hauled up by Bad News Brown, who's a who's a, a black guy. He gets really angry that Andre the Giant has said some stuff that's dodgy. Deal, that's something that happened to Andre the Giant. Anyone who knows the actual history knows what what went on mm. there. It's dealt sensibly and with respect to all the people involved, but that's it's good. it's not afraid to say these are the events that happened. Yeah. Um, so is it actually sort of a biopic? It, it is a biography. Um, and it's very sympathetic towards Andre, um, and it's you know it it does present the man as someone who is very gentle, but also because he's huge will break things. Yeah. And sometimes that's over people's hearts, you know. And because he's huge, yes, he comes across as a bully to some people because he's huge. Yeah. Um, and his impact on the world will always you know always have this sort of thing. So you end up, I mean, you end up with massive amounts of sympathy for him. Obviously, towards the end of his life, which was much shorter because he was a much bigger man, because of his condition, he, he died young. Mm. Um, 
you know, there's, there's, there's a lot, it's handled really sympathetically and warmly, even the fact that, you know, he, he hardly saw his daughter and all this is handled well mm. and in a way that is nice but there's some there's some beautiful moments there's, there's a really really beautiful moment where the, the author has obviously listened to the princess bride soundtrack mm. and listened to the princess bride dvd and talked you know read all the interviews yeah. and all the stories of andre and there's a wonderful bit where um the lady who plays the princess is freezing on set <laughs> and andre just goes and puts his hand on her head because he's so big she just warms her up straight away. He's a <laughs> massive, massive guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, the artwork is is spot on for what it is. The story design is spot on for what it is. It is fairly dense. It's about 177 pages. Oh, okay. Um, it's a nicely done paperback. It came out just this week as well. Um, so it's a new one. Um, Who will do it, Ed? Would Sorry? I enjoy it? Would I enjoy it? I think anyone who I think anyone will in, will enjoy it because I'm not a massive wrestling fan. Mm. I love the Princess Bride. Yay! I, th- I think if you know who if you know who he is, then you'll really get a kick out of it. If you don't know who he is, I think you'll have an enjoyable read anyway. Mm. So it's um it's it's out now. It's on first second. Okay. The publishers of first second. It's by Box Brown. Um, I was confused. I thought Box Brown was a publisher. No, Box Brown's someone who wrote the book. Um, worth your time. A lot of fun. Uh, definitely a gift for the wrestling fan in your life. Um, and also worth a read. Sure. So, um, I think coming up next, we'll have a. Oh, we'll, we'll interview our guest author who's a. The alternative with Fab Radio. The good ended happily, and the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. Oscar Wilde, The Importance of Being Earnest. The Bookworm. Sunday, 12 to 1 on Fab Radio International. Uh, hello, listener. So um, I think it's time for an interview, isn't it? Yay, we can chat with our guest today, um, the lovely Alicia Elwright. Uh, she's a local author and she's also a, a comic book um, artist. Yeah, I do web comics. Yes, so, uh, very not, cool. Not quite as professional. <laughs> uh, no, but they're very cool. So, so first of all, just tell us a little bit about you. You know, how did you get into into comic books? What are your f- sort of like influences and favorite things? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I was always drawing and reading and stuff. Um, I, would, I would just read anything that I got my hands on. Um, I used to read a few comics and I just drew. Um, actually, I got out of drawing for like eight years. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, it was it was actually um, Eggs, a Sugar and Disaster, the, my first book that got me back into drawing because uh, what happened was my cousin who was infinitely better at drawing than me <laughs> um, was supposed to do the cover and then just when um, it was coming out to the deadline her laptop exploded <laughs> that, that's <laughs> never a good thing that's, <laughs> so, that's never a good thing so I, it was like oh well I'll have to do it then and I just sort of got a bit more into it a bit more into it and I did the cover and um, and I'm, I'm back into it now and I started just doing comics of stuff that my characters were running around in my head doing that were you know they're great what comic what I found web comics are great for 
is getting down stuff that I can't fit in the book because it's too silly or it's not relevant to the plot, but it's still, like, you know, a fun thing. So that's what I use the, the webcomic for. <laughs> if I wanted to see the webcomic, what's the URL? Um, well, I mostly... I My hub for it is DeviantArt, so um, my username on there is PuddingValkyrie, all one word, of course. <laughs> so it's like PuddingValkyrie.DeviantArt.com. But I do post them on uh, Tumblr, again under PuddingValkyrie, and on Facebook and Twitter, I'm Alicia L. Wright. So you can see them there as well. You've, you've done, I mean, um, from your first book, Eggs, Butter, Sugar and Disaster, you, you have done quite a lot of little drawings. I mean, I do love the cover. Uh, <laughs> it's just a, it's just cute and a lot of fun. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out um, Alicia's art um, on, on, on the different platforms. Um, so what sort of like, what would you say would be your influences, you know, your favourite, favourite people to read and... Um, for for comics or for for books well, or just for everything? for comics and for you know books because I know you you obviously you write and you you love yeah, reading as um, well. Well, for comics, um, when I was a teenager, I read um, Oh My Goddess, which uh, has Norse mythology in it. Um, mostly, I just liked it anyway. But I the artist developed this really gorgeous style. Like from the from the first ones, it was it was quite different. But now it's just it's just so pretty, and I wanted to. I wanted to draw like that. I don't. I don't know if I'll ever get that good, but <laughs> um, you got to start from somewhere. And um, like when I, I the webcomics I read, Human. She does Scandinavia in the world and uh, Mandala next door. I like reading her stuff. Okay. Um, I, I must admit, I'm addicted to Scandinavia in the world. I've not <laughs> seen it. It's just funny. Um. um and um, books, I do like the Discworld series, and uh, yeah, yeah, I've noticed, yeah, yeah. I've noticed uh, I, I do love comic fantasy stuff, so I like Dan Wynne-Jones, been reading some of her stuff, Yeah, a um, bit of Neil Gaiman. Of course. Um, we love Neil. We love you, Neil. <laughs> we do. Um, when I was, uh, something, one of my earlier influences was Patricia C. Reed. Uh, she wrote the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, so I picked up one of her books when I was 11, um, and that's sort of... I think that sort of started my love of comic fantasy, really. I think that was where it all started. Um, um, uh, manga. I've read a lot oh, of manga. manga. Uh, obviously, oh my god, as I mentioned, yes. uh, Fruits Basket. I've, I think that's the only oh. series that I own all of it. See, I can see <laughs> Fruit Basket around, and, and I've never picked it up, and I love the artwork. Because I'm one of those that looks at the artwork first, and if I like it, then I'll, I'll read what the story's about, and then if I like that as well, I'll <laughs> buy it. Uh, I have I have reviewed uh, my, my, my all-time favourite, which is Sailor Moon. Uh, oh, yeah, Sailor I Moon. Ab- I read absolutely in, adore I read Sailor in, Moon. I read in college as well. I was, reading, I was reading, every week I would go to my comic shop, and I would get, I, I ordered Sailor Moon, the comics as they came out, yes. and now my goddess as they came out. Yeah. And those are the two that I remember reading. You see, I got to know all my goddess via the the cartoon. Oh, uh, did you? When, when I was about what the anime. When I was about like what nineteen ninety. Yeah, there was there was a five episode OVA that they brought out, but they did uh, they redid it, which was much much better uh, <laughs> <laughs> recently. Yeah, um, the last few years. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually seen the the um, anime version. I have seen the artwork for the for the. Um, mangas, um, but yeah, it, it looks very pretty. It's very, it's pretty. very, very pretty. <laughs> so, 
Well, we see you've done two novels, comic novels, um, aimed at like kind of a, the younger audience. Um, how, are you going to do any actual graphic novels? Cause... Well, I do print. I do do some uh, sort of webcomic-y type stuff to sell at, at the conventions that I go to, but I, d- I don't think that I. I don't think that I'm really good enough. I have the patience to do like a proper. Because that's why I write. Because it's, it's sort of less effort to to do the to, to write than it is to, so, to do the the comics. Then I think you can do different things with writing than you can do with comics. Absolutely. So. Well, I mean, with the graphic novel, what you have is you have sort of a, a marriage, but you can't really expand on the word too much. Or yeah, on, yeah, there's because a you have to, to what balance you can do. it exactly. Um, um, so, I mean, although it's a wonderful medium of of, of conveying a story. Um, I always do prefer the books. But I I find that, you know, if you don't have the attention span for a full novel, a graphic novel is a brilliant way of still, you know, getting into a story. Yeah, it's a nice Um, way to do some light reading sort um, of thing. Yeah, and some of the stories, I mean, some of the art that conveys the story is just so beautifully done that you kind of go like... It's worth it. It's really <laughs> worth it. And I'm one of those that came into sort of comics and graphic novels seriously very, very late. And it's only because my husband loves graphic novels and he has a, a nice, nice big collection that I kind of thought, actually, why have I not gotten into this before? Because I love this. Um, but, yeah, so your first book was Eggs, Butter, Sugar and Disaster. And that was uh, sort of about this girl that uh, uh, has this drink and turns into a goddess from from the Norse pantheon, uh, and that's a lot of fun. And you mentioned that obviously you you like Terry Pratchett, and I can I mean I've, I've reviewed this, and I'll do a review in the probably not in the too distant future in the show as well because it's a very enjoyable book. Um, and and there's a bit of a Terry Pratchett humor about it. And but you've got a book that's literally just coming out on the fifteenth. Yeah, May. The, the official release date is the fifteenth. But I I hear Amazon.co.uk has some preview copies available. Yeah, it's very are, limited. Yeah, there so, are some hard copies available so on, um, on if, Amazon. If you so. want to grab yourself a um, an exclusive paperwork before release date, you can go on Amazon.co.uk and your latest book is called Miss Prince. And I love the tagline. The tagline is, vampires don't belong in fairy tales. They don't really. But actually, that's not true. <laughs> I read some Russian ones recently where there are some vampire type things. And, mm. uh, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> was that part of the research or was it just pleasure reading? Uh, no, that was after I'd done all the main stuff. I was just, I just, I'm always reading up because I'm, I'm doing another book that's a sequel and I'm thinking of other books I could because it's a very fun universe to work with. So oh, yeah. it, it, um, is, it is actually seriously limited in stock. Apparently, there's only seven left in, according to Amazon.co.uk. Yes, there is. Yeah. Baha. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was that producer, was the producer. Al. Um, producer Al, thank you. Um, it's quite rare, rare producer slang, except for the fact that we have a voice at the end of every show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I now really want to talk about the vampire myth and its evolution, but we don't have time on the show. <laughs> if only it's too too long and rambling. <laughs> um, shall we? Shall we get on to a, a, a review? We we do could do, do a, a, review? a review. I've yeah. got um, um, <clears throat> Stormborn Volume One, which is the first volume in the Dark Swan series. So uh, after these messages, Starburst Magazine available on iPad, fully interactive multimedia with exclusive and even secret content. Subscribe today on iTunes. 
Welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Ed Fortune. Say hello. Hello. And our fabulous guest, Alicia Wright, who's an author and um, comic artist. Yeah, comic artist, yes. <laughs> and um, today we have a bit of a graphic novel comic book um, show. Uh, so I've picked one of my favourites, which is the, as I said, the Stormborn Volume 1 um, of the Dark Sun um, Chronicles by Richelle Mead. Um, it's published by um, Sea Lion Books, which is a sort of smallish imprint that's kind of getting bigger and bigger as they go. Uh, they publish loads of interesting stuff and a lot of cool sort of young adult authors have been picked up by them to to sort of re-release books in in graphic novel format um so stormborn and the dark swan series are centered around um eugenie markham um she's a modern day shaman she makes her living by going around and exercising pesky spirits and casting them back into the other world where they belong uh, does the occasional haunting some you know demon ass kicking uh, she's you know she's quite cool um, and she's been trained by her stepfather and um, she's always been told how dangerous dangerous fairies and do not go into fairy because bad things will happen to you the only problem is all of a sudden fairy seems to be knocking at her door uh, and she's become sort of bachelorette number one in, in the otherworldly radar uh, because of a prophecy. A prophecy that tells that basically her first child will change the face of the world. And it's a very doomy kind of prophecy. Um, so all of a sudden she's worked really hard all her life to have an alias by by which she's known by other worldly creatures. All of a sudden, everyone knows a real name. Everyone knows what she does, where she lives. She's literally, you know, if you picked up the other world, um, you know, weekly magazine, she'd be on the front page every week. Um, and that's not something that she likes. Not only that, but uh, she's then approached by a, a, a desperate guy whose younger sister's been kidnapped by fairies to go and get her sister, his sister back which she doesn't want to know because she's been told your fairy is a bad, bad place and it's really hard to cross over and bad things will happen to you. But obviously there's a young girl there that needs help. And so, you know, with all the problems that she's having at the moment with creatures crossing over or trying to cross over to grab her and, and, and you know, be the father of, of the, you know, the, the next best thing, um, it, there's a lot on her plate. Um, it's 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 a very cool story. Michelle Mead's better known for her other work. Yes, um, Michelle Mead's got massive Vampire Academy and, and Bloodlines series out. Vampire Academy and then the spin-off, which is Bloodlines. Um, we've talked about about VA with Emma Viacelli, who was our guest, uh, who's a fantastic um, graphic novel artist. How different is it from Vampire Academy? I mean, obviously oh, this it's a graphic is all, novel. This this is. Um, adult stuff you know there's a lot of adults straight away um, you can tell because you know some of these creatures will try and impose themselves on her uh, whether she likes it or not when you say you see you say fairies to me and then you say adult I immediately think of Nancy Collins so so how on a scale of you know Grimm's fairy tales to Nancy Collins where is it these are these are sort of 
these are dark fairies, and not particular because they're she or unshe or however you want to call them. These are dark fairies because you know they're not human; they're something else. So they see they see us as something else. They're an, you know they're in a completely different race. They have incredible magic at their hands, and and you know their morals are completely different from what from what human moral would be. Uh, they mostly don't understand some of the things humans do and will go to great lengths to to increase their magic and and basically some of them you know want to take over the world they want to spill over into our dimension and take over because you know they are better um which is what obviously the prophecy is also about and why she gets into so much trouble this is fat radio international the alternative. Welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International and we are talking about Stormborn Volume 1 uh, from the Dark Swan series by Rochelle Mead uh, in graphic novel format. Um, there is a book series um, where this is based on. Um, very, very faithful, the graphic novel, to the actual story. Uh, and it's four books. Um, um, that basically make it up. Stormborn is the first book, um, and basically, as I, as I was explaining before, it sort of follows Eugenie Markham, who's a modern day shaman, uh, into her adventures in sort of the fairy counterpart of the world. Um, you were asking before about the fairies, and I think I've gone a bit into that. But as I said, it's, it's not you know dark or light it's it's more a case of all the fairies are, are very well described uh, and they all have their own agendas and Eugenie kind of comes into that quite a lot lately because of this prophecy that's been going around for years there's a big backstory that you sort of start scratching the surface in the first book and then you discover more and more and more as you go um, and Eugenie's life is actually quite tightly en entwined with fairy you will discover later. I'm um, just very, very quickly flicking through that. The art looks very Western anime to me. Yes, um, it, I find it's very cool. It's very vivid. There's a lot of bright colours, the reds especially. And I think, I mean, Eugenie's a redhead, and you can see straight away there's a lot of red uh, and a lot of vividness to to the actual artwork. I think it's incredibly pretty. I have to say, but it's very Western in look. Uh, reminds me a bit of um, Runaways, so oh, that kind of Marvel style, style. Um, very much so. Um, and the the um, the art is by um, Dave Hammond and Adam Markovich, uh, and the story is obviously by Rochelle Mead and uh, Adam adapted by Grant Alter. Uh, so the, the sort of well-known names and well-respected names in, in the graphic novel business. Uh, but it's incredibly pretty. I just love how pretty it is. Um, I mean, we might touch on this later on in the show, but you can tell that technology has changed the way that colouring uh, is done. Because mm. that's clearly done on a colour palette using Photoshop. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic, in fact. Oh, yeah, it's... it's um, it's very crisp and clean in the lines as well, and even the colours are just, just, just very, very. But it's totally standard for the industry now. Whereas, oh, absolutely! Whereas, you know, twenty years ago, 
you look at some of the stuff and the colours are actually a little bit dull because you just can't like the red hair that's flowing there. Mm-hmm. You've got all you've got like five or six different shades of red and the light works perfectly well and it's really, really well done and the art is really, really well done. And you just sit there going, Gosh, that would have been you know, that would have been remarkable back in the day. Absolutely. Uh, and you look at say Simon you know, you look at Simon Bisley Bisley slaying stuff, or getting off the point entirely <laughs> uh, which is all oil painting. And you sit there and you go, I love this, but it's a bit dark. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yay, yay for science. Science is good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would totally recommend it. If you know Richelle Mead's work from her novels, you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, I found that, you know, all the characters for me came really to life and it's exactly what I had in my mind while I was reading the actual books. Um, it's very, very faithful to the story because obviously, you know, Richelle is involved, um, so it would be. Um, and... Um, I think it's a lovely, lovely um, graphic novel. As I said, it's it's by Sea Lion Books, and they've got loads of cool stuff. So, you know, sealionsbook.com if you want to have a look at what they have available in store. Um, and um, they're lovely, lovely people. They're all sort of really um, seasoned veterans. The Dable Brothers has been have been in the in the business for yonks and they've done things like, you know, the, the Laura K. Hamilton Anita Blake series on graphic novel as well and collaborated on a host of different things. I I must get in touch with EJ Dable because he's actually got a series of books out. Um the first one's called Pantheon and the whole series is about um adapted sort of modern time mythology. Very, very cool. Um, so yeah, if um, if you fancy, you know, a little bit of a female Dresden in a way, um, Ooh, that's a that's an interesting recommendation. Yes, uh, Dark Swan, Stormborn, Volume One by Rochelle Mead, and it's on Sea Lion Books. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. I've just remembered a thing. <gasps> um, a little while on the show, we had the creators of the autobiography of Jane Eyre. Do you remember? We did. Oh, uh, Canada. Oh, Canada. And they do they they do a, a like a video video show, which is a, an adaptation of the autobiography of Jane Eyre. Yes. And the inspiration for that, of course, was the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Yes. So, getting completely off the field of comic books, sorry for uh, uh, listening. going, I thought you were going to talk about comic books. Oh, well, we just did for a while. <laughs> um, and um, our box turned up, I say our box, the box turned up uh, in the house of producer Al, who was terribly, terribly excited. Oh. So, so what turned up in your, your, your goodie box? Uh, our goodie box contained um, a reprint of the original source novel, Pride and Prejudice, uh, with a fan art cover, very nice, with the modern versions of the characters on it. Uh, it's got a foreword by um, Hank Green. Shall we quick, quickly explain what the Lizzie Bennet Diaries are? Oh yes, Lizzie Bennet Diaries is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, uh, with Lizzie Bennet being a 25-year-old media studies type student in America, um, who is vlogging her life as part of her thesis dissertation thing, whatever the Americans call that. So it's um, not genre, but it definitely is cult. Yeah, it's definitely cult. <laughs> yeah, so and about probably about a year ago now, possibly slightly longer, they had a Kickstarter 
um, for DVDs of extra bonus behind-the-scenes footage um, of all the shows and extra stuff, depending on what level you supported. Uh, so we've got the book. Uh, and we've got the uh, about nine or ten disc box set of of everything, um, and we got we got some bookmarks in with it as well, which is nice, um, and um, a little sticker for Emma Approved, which is uh, the same people's current adaptation of Emma, also by Jane Austen. Oh. Yeah, and later this year, the same people will be launching uh, Frankenstein MD. Mm, yeah, which is uh, in collaboration with PBS Digital. Um, so that could be interesting. I think we might have to get someone involved in that on the show. I think Frankenstein, Frankenstein MD is definitely genre. It's first ever, Frankenstein, first ever science fiction novel. That's ours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently Mary Shelley was like 18 when she wrote that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of, oh my God, uh, body horror, really. It, it is kind of that period, body horror, if you actually look at what's going on with Mary Shelley at the time. But anyway, comic books. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, that, 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 that's news for you. A bit, bit of late news. A bit of just fun. Um, so, yes, um, I grew up with Eagle comic. Uh, I'm not that old. I, I grew up with the, the 80s <laughs> version of the Eagle rather than the 60s version of the Eagle. So my kind of my perspective of comic books is anthology stories, black and white line or art. Mm. And, and all sorts of almost horrific. I read some of the old storylines and I'm like, oh my God, he's terrifying. <laughs> um, you know, because there was a whole thing about shock back then. So that's that's kind of what drew me into graphic novels. Um, but I think these days it's all about the webcomic. I really do. I think I think it's all about what you can get online. And co- comicsology is part of it. But I think also, I think webcomics have changed the, the rules massively. I think it is um, is a good way to get your work out there to a large audience fairly easily, so you don't have to like prove yourself whether you can sell something. Cause it's just you can just get it online free and build up your your you know fan base without having to go through a publisher. So. One of the things I'm finding fascinating with the way what comic books are developing is we've got we almost have like two streams now. It's much like eBooks and books. Where if, if you want web comics and you really like the artist, you find their Patreon. If you've ever heard of Patreon, Patreon is a thing where you turn around and you say, "I will give you two dollars per comic that you produce, um, up to a limit of eight dollars a month." Mm. So, providing, for example, um, and every time they produce a web comic, if they produce like twelve web comics that month, then you've still only given them eight dollars. But it's these micro payments, and obviously fans come in and they they do it. It's a direct debit, literally. It's a direct debit for the, for the art. I've seen I've seen that done because I mean some of these have gotten so many that they've ended up actually producing actual books that people could then go and buy and and keep at home. Like I think a softer world. Um, has done that and does a bunch of others as well online. I mean, I don't read them all the time, but my husband now and then just points stuff at me like SKCD. Yeah, SKCD is, a, is an example of... He hasn't actually produced... He's in the process of producing book variants. Yeah. And he, he gets so much, you know, he gets so much kudos out of the stuff that he does that he seems to be entirely fine and everything seems to be okay. Um, but that's, you know, that that's a little bit different from... You know where we are with where, where we are with things like Patreon. Where if you're uh, the guy who does um, hijinks and two, for example, um, Joel Hartley, I believe he's called. Um, he he's he's on Patreon. You just give him you know four dollars a month. That's two quid. 
Yeah. And like hundreds of people are doing that. So now he can put his daughter through college. But, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, you'd be surprised how many people will go. Yeah, I enjoy your work. I'll, I'll give you a couple of quid. You know, at the end of the day, um, if it means that I get another another cool comic to read this month, then then I want to do that. The thing I'm not seeing is any crossover into the mainstream. Mm. Which, which is interesting because you know Marvel are doing fantastic things. Marvel Comics are doing great things. Dark Horse are in the process of dusting themselves off because mm. they've just taken a kicking from Disney. Because <laughs> um, uh, for those who, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dark Horse used to do all the Star Wars comic books. Yes. And then Star Wars got bought by Disney, who owned Marvel. So oddly enough, <laughs> I mean, I'm approaching the point where Disney just owns everything. Uh, look, they, they own a lot of fun. They really do. They own ABC. They, I, did, I mean, I did sign something about my soul some time ago when I was about five, but I don't know whether that means that they actually own that too. Does that, does that explain why you always dream of Winnie the Pooh? And occasionally, <laughs> occasionally I don't dream of Winnie the Pooh. Maybe I should. <laughs> Am I failing in my contract? <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, that, that 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 is it's weird with Disney because on the one hand you're like oh corporation and then you go oh hang on this is an Avengers with the Pooh crossover I quite like this. <laughs> you know Find Vorny. The Infinity Gems are in fact five pots of honey. <laughs> oh, we need the Pooh is Thanos. This means nothing to you if you don't know. <laughs> But, um, but I mean, my opinion about everything is, as long as you treat it well, I don't care whether you're a big corporation or a tiny little imprint. Just treat it well and produce cool stuff. So as long as Disney are doing that, you know, they've got my soul. Um. Mar- Marvel have always been cool. Yes. I mean, they've had a couple of problems, and there's, there's bits and pieces that have been a bit... You look at that and you go, oh, Marvel, really? But... <laughs> You know, who hasn't? Who, which major publisher hasn't been oh, a little bit? And as a general rule, they've they've been spot on. Um, shall we just sigh heavily and go straight past DC? Uh, I, I've just spent the. Uh, I also write reviews for for a magazine that might not be a million miles away from this building. Um, upstairs. Upstairs. And um, I've I've just gone through a pile of DC DC comic stuff and uh, Batman, 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 and Batman. Is, is the I show believe they also do Batman. I think they do Batman. Um, okay. But they do, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's oh, there's so. Here is the thing about just talking about comic books. Free comic book day was just last. Yeah, week. just last week. And Marvel did a thing called Rocket Raccoon as their free comic book, and it was clearly clearly previewing their movie. Oh, yeah. Which is got into the galaxy. Yep. It was it was Scott e. Young was doing doing the art. It was fun. It was brilliant. It gave you a wonderful uh, description of the universe. It was suitable for all ages. It was great. <laughs> here is a, here is a rocket raccoon. Who is a raccoon with a jetpack shooting things? I mean, you can't go wrong with a rocket raccoon. Saying slightly rude things, but not rude enough for you know for it to be taken off the shelves. And generally, because he's a small, you know, he's a cigar chomping. Swearing space space raccoon uh, with with a plant for a friend, and then DC, oh dear DC, DC did a, a kind of zombie robot horror show, which had the Flash being melted and you know characters' limbs being cut off and okay. Black Canary's head in the body of Frankenstein's monster and ah, DC, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's. If, if I mean, D- I'm sure you. 
you know, people appreciated it. If DC, if DC was a person, I'd have assumed that they'd just come out of a really disastrous relationship and needed <laughs> a good drink. It, it, it's that sort of it, it, it's that sort of kind of spite-filled, kind of angry at the world feel to it that you just sit there and you go, either you. Why does nobody love me? Why, Why do, do you love Marvel so much? Because you know Thor. Anyways, <laughs> dear, dear DC Comics, we do we love, love you. you. We do love you. Please grow up, because because we have. And, and you haven't. And stop assuming that we haven't, because we have. Please, please, please grow <laughs> up. Shall we, shall we leave? Yes, we'll leave, yeah. This is Fab Radio International. For seven years, The Ripman Show has been playing and supporting new, unsigned, and emerging music. You can now listen to the show here and exclusive to Fab Radio International every Monday, 7 till 9. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. So, you've been listening to the bookworm, it's uh, so award seeking radio. Uh, <laughs> award us! Please, please give us something. Uh, and it's uh, goodbye for me, Ed Fortune, and it's goodbye good- for me, Nympha Hayes, and our guest. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> the bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>